Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Figure It Out podcast with me, Chandler Collins. On a basketball big Monday, we got an awesome college basketball show for you guys tonight. Recording on a Monday, got some games going on right now. Kind of a a smaller slate on this big Monday. Got a little K-State, West Virginia. Got a little North Carolina, Miami. Uh, Some action going on right now, but figured great time. Took a little bit of a break from the show. Uh, Obviously, uh, after our first episode, it was this. It was the Monday before the Super Bowl. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, if you hadn't heard, won Super Bowl Fifty Eight. So we had an amazing Super Bowl recap pod. Um, so we didn't do basketball that day. Then, luckily, joining me this evening, Garrett Skipworth, our Figure It Out podcast college basketball expert, uh, came down with a sickness last Monday. Had to push it back a couple days. Schedules got crazy, but we're back full strength. Skip joins us as always, 100% healthy from what I'm uh, picking up from what he was telling me in the pre-pod show. Uh, Great to have him back, but we're going to have it all for you, a little weekend recap. We're going to go over some mid-major stuff, as we always do on this show. Uh, We're going to go – we're actually going to take a step back after mid-majors because there were some great games on Sunday to lead us into this new week of college basketball that we're about to embark on. We'll go over the top 10, and then we'll wrap up the show with games to watch this week. Um, as a reminder, recording on a Monday, so the games to watch Tuesday through the rest of the week. Um, but let's hear from Skip first. Skip, good to have you back, buddy. Good to be back on the show. A lot of hoops, some controversy, and I'm sure we'll talk about it all. Man, Chan, it's great to be back. It feels uh, amazing. You know, those two weeks, that was a long two weeks there that we didn't have the show um like you said i was uh, a little bit under the weather and uh it was not fun at all so i really hope that everyone out there is staying safe and healthy because uh what i was dealing with i never wish that upon anybody it was absolutely <laughs> terrible so i'm um, glad to be back and uh we got a lot to to recap uh like you mentioned a lot of really good games um things are really really starting to heat up uh it's just that time of the year a lot of buzz around college basketball right now a lot of controversy, like you said. Um, some good, some bad. Um, so I'm looking forward to this episode and and uh, really just recapping everything. And and uh, man, I mean, we only got one more week until uh, that calendar hits March. So right. it'll be here before we know it, and it's that time of the year. So I'm excited for this episode, Chan. Yeah, our next episode will actually be in March, I believe. If if I do my math right here, it'll be March third. Uh, yep, you got it. So that'll be uh, we're about a, a couple of days out from conference tournaments uh, starting up on that day. So you're right. And I like how you said that uh, it was a long two weeks and what a crazy sport the game of college basketball is because a lot has changed in the two weeks since we've been on the show. Um, Skip, what was the example you were using in the pre pod show about uh, who? What was the team you were talking about? Do you remember? Uh, the, uh, the fact that, that Creighton, that they lost or they beat, uh, the number one team UConn and then turned around and lost to St. John's, uh, just yesterday actually. And, uh, so obviously they were on cloud nine beating the number one team in the country and then turned around and beat or lost to an unranked team. But we were kind of diving, uh, diving a little bit deeper into that. Uh, you know, obviously St. John's has had like four or five games on their schedule this year so far where they've lost by under four or five points. So that their record is a little bit deceiving and, and watching that game yesterday, I, I feel like they're a little bit better of a team than, 
um, you know, they deserve credit for. But yeah, man, just uh, crazy that the ebbs and flows and the highs and lows of a college basketball season, you know, you're on top of the world after being the number one team in the country. And then you come around and, and uh, lose to an unranked team. So it just goes to show you that you got to give your best effort and be on your A game at any given moment of any given game. Yeah, you're exactly right. Really well said. Let's get into the weekend, Skip. No better time than now. We're going to start here at the top. Uh, I got written down an awesome game in Waco, Texas. Houston at Baylor. Houston gets the overtime win on Saturday, 82-76. Emmanuel Sharp, we talked about him, I believe, two episodes ago, um, about him and his ability to lead this Houston team. Goes for 18, was the highest scorer. Um, it was just an all-out war between these two teams. Two teams with very similar styles, really athletic, up and down the floor, heavy guard play, and uh, Houston prevailed. And we talked about it uh, two weeks ago. This Houston team, if they're shooting, they're tough to beat. And that was on display, obviously, scoring 82 points. I know it's overtime, but still, skip Houston. We'll get it to it in our top 10, but they're this week's number one. They're probably going to be a one seed, I'd have to imagine. Absolutely. No, they have a lot of returners from last year's team. Um, they made a deep run. Uh, you know, you got uh, guys like LJ Cryer. Uh, you got uh, Jamal Sheed. Um, when you have a good one-two punch like that and, uh, and for your guards, um, you know, that's they're, uh, they're obviously going to make some plays. They're going to make shots. We talked about uh, the streakiness, you know, not being able to live and die by the three, so to speak. Um, but just finding that fine balance of, of taking the open shot, taking what the defense gives you, I'm not forcing anything, uh, obviously having low turnovers. That's very important in basketball. Um, but you know, it, it's one thing, uh, and, and we talk about this a lot, Chan, like it's one thing if a team is shooting a low percentage from three, but if they're getting good looks, like that's something that you can kind of live with at the end of the day because sometimes the ball just doesn't roll in and you just simply don't make shots but if you're you know from a strategic standpoint if you're getting open looks you're not playing a lot of one-on-one iso ball um like you can kind of live with those results sometimes but when it gets frustrating is whenever the ball is not moving you know a lot of iso ball Guys are taking like step back threes, you know, contested, just trying to create something out of nothing. That's whenever it gets really frustrating. Um, And that's when you can't live with the results. Whenever you're getting a mixture of bad shots while also shooting a low percentage, that's whenever it gets dicey. And so, um, you know, I I think a team like, uh, like Houston that has a lot of experience, they've been there, done that. They know what it takes. They, they know how to win. Um, I think, you know, again, you don't want to live and die by the three too much. Uh, even in this game, they only went six for twenty-one from three against Baylor, which is not which is not good at all. It's only twenty-eight percent. Um, but you know, you're still you're still putting up 80, 82 points. Um, they shot almost fifty percent from the field. Uh, you know, they're getting to the free throw line. They're moving the ball, getting guys involved. Um, they had a bunch of different guys, four or five guys that scored in double figures. That's the kind of stuff that you can live with as a coach. So um, sometimes you just simply don't hit shots, and other times you do, and and the rim is huge, and you can't miss. So it, it kind of just depends on the day at the end of the day. 
He mentioned them in the uh, pre or the intro, excuse me. The Yukon Huskies bounced back after that loss to Creighton on the road. I believe it was Thursday night or Wednesday night, one of the two. But Yukon loses at Creighton, turns around on Saturday and wins 78 54. And Skip, that's kind of where I'm starting to draw the line on this season. How are these teams that are supposed to be the best of the best handling adversity in a loss like that to Creighton and bounce back? And UConn passed my test, 78-54 over Villanova. That's a great win um, to come back home and not let a loss compound into more losses. Um, Cam Spencer has 25 points for UConn. UConn's really good, Skip. And they're a lot like Houston in the fact that they've kind of been there, done that before, and they and they really embody both of those teams embody what I feel like is the personality of their head coaches. And mm-hmm. UConn is is well oiled. I don't put a lot of stock into the loss to Creighton. Creighton's a good team. We're going to talk about them here in a second. Um, and on any given night, and especially in a conference like the Big East, on the road, tough place to play. And uh, UConn looking good after a big win over Villanova. No doubt about it, man. And that does speak a lot of volume to uh, the camaraderie of a team and the mindset of a team, especially this late in the season. Um, Because like you mentioned, Chan, you know, you don't want to let one loss compound into two or three losses. Um, Guys start pointing fingers. Guys, you know, it it just it's a snowball effect. And so the fact that you can kind of, you know, take your loss, roll with the punches, you know, get back in the film room. Um, and, and and move on and have that uh, short mindset is really, really important because obviously there's no room for error in, in uh, conference tournament time and, and in, in the NCAA tournament. Um, and you had mentioned uh, they got they got heavy hitters for UConn. Um, another guy that really stands out, Tristan Newton. Uh, dude had a triple-double. Um, he had 10 points, 10 assists, and 16 rebounds against Villanova. Um I mean, that's just patting the stat sheet. So that's just, uh, especially for a guard, um, he is 6'5", so he's got some size to him. But for a guard to get in there and get 16 rebounds, like, that's what you want. Um, and, and making those hustle plays and those those second efforts, you know, guys that are diving on the floor and going after loose balls, those 50-50 balls, you know, sometimes that's the difference in, in a win and a loss. And so... Uh, whenever you guys, whenever you got a guy, a guard that's grabbing you 16 boards, like that's obviously something that you're going to be very proud of as a coach. So UConn, man, like you just said, I don't put a whole lot of, of stock into the loss against Creighton. You know, it happens. They only have three losses on the season. Um, so they're going to be right there in the thick of it. And uh, in my opinion, UConn is definitely one of the best teams in the entire country for sure. I hate to do this to our uh, to our correspondent Skip here, but this is two episodes now of the college basketball show in 2024 following a Duke loss. And when we talk about controversy, this game had it all. Um, Duke, number eight Duke loses at Wake Forest 79 to 83. Uh, the Demon Deacons steal one in Winston-Salem, but uh, Skip, let's just do the game first. The game was 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 a great game. I mean, Wake just played their balls off and, fr- frankly, just kind of stole a home victory over a better opponent. Um, I don't think there's anything more or less to that in the game. Uh, you know, I think if Duke and Wake Forest play right now ten times, Duke wins eight of them, and this just happened to be the, the one of the two that Wake would get. But um, 
you want to talk about the game real quick before we do the court storming stuff, or you want to just get into it? <laughs> well, man, uh, you know, the what sums up that game for Duke against Wake Forest, um, I mean, they had complete control of the game the entire time. It was a back-and-forth game, you know, not really uh, any significant lead. I'm not exactly sure what the largest lead for either team of the game was, but it was just back and forth, you know, no room for error. And Duke comes out and turns the ball over four out of the last five possessions of the game. And that is the difference. You know, it sounds cliche and, and it's, it's way easier said than done for us to sit here and, and critique it and and say this and say that. But I mean, you're hardly ever going to win a basketball game if you're four out of the last five possessions, you turn it over. And then they still had a chance and threw the ball out of bounds and didn't even get a shot up at the very end. Tyrese Proctor threw it off of uh, Filipowski and it, it bounced off his leg and went out of bounds and, and, you know, a couple more free throws and they sealed the game. So it's just, it's just like, you know, you got to take care of the ball and you can't, in those timely moments, whenever you need to get a good shot and you need to take care of the ball, you just simply cannot afford to turn the ball over. And um, it, it, it sucks because, like I said, they had uh, complete control of that game the entire time. And I'm sitting there thinking that they're going to win for sure. And um, they just kind of, you know, peed down their legs, so to speak, and and gave it away. So. It's tough. And then obviously the core storming, man, you know, you, you hate to see it. Uh, this is obviously tough. You know, a, a headline like that, you hate to see it take away from the game itself. Because quite frankly, you know, people are going to be talking more about the court storming than the, than the actual game. Um, you know, Chan, we, we were texting back and forth about it, uh, just kind of trying to pick each other's brain and and really, it's one of those situations, there's really no right or wrong answer. And and that's the toughest part about it. It's, uh, you know, the, the history and the excitement and the electricity that surrounds a court storming is one of the things that makes college basketball so great. And, you know, as a little kid that's watching college basketball on the TV and you see that and it's like, man, you know, I can't wait to get to college and be able to do that kind of stuff myself. So like, it's, it's a staple of college basketball, so to speak. So like, I don't think that they should necessarily ban it by any means, because I think that there's just too many factors that go into it. I mean, how do you really ban thousands right. of, of, of people from storming a court like that? Like there's just, there's really no way of regulating it, I guess. But the only thing that I would change is, you know, I would at least, at the very least, I would make sure that the players exited the court and and were going through the the um, handshake line. Just at least make sure that they get off the court. They're out of sight. They're out of people's vision. That way, they don't get hit or anything like that. We've obviously seen this happen multiple times. One of them being with Caitlin Clark. Now with Filipowski. Like something's got to give. And so, because they can't. I mean, they can't keep having players get hurt like that because it's only going to continue to get worse. And and the thing that kind of pisses me off about it too, and and Duke kind of alluded to this, and I hate to keep rambling on about it, but um, you know, you don't know if those you know drunk college kids that are going a million miles an hour, like 
who's to say that, that kid didn't do that on purpose to try and physically hurt Filipowski on purpose? I'm not saying by any means that he did because we obviously have no idea, but that's that gray, shady area where, you know, you don't know if that kid did that on purpose. He could have easily done that on purpose, or it could have been a quote-unquote complete accident. Like, we just never know, and there's no way to prove it. So in order to avoid that, they have to at least let the players get off the court, allow them to exit the court safely, whether it's waiting for the kids to storm storm the court. You know, it'd be a matter of 10 to 15 seconds. Like, once the kids are in line and they're shaking hands, then the kids can storm the court. Like, that'd be one thing. But they've got to do something for the safety of the players at the end of the day, for sure. Real quick, before I get my thoughts on it, you put any stock into the to the alternate angles of some of the court stormings because the, you know, the reports come out and I'm always going to defend the players and no, I don't want them to ever be hurt. But the Caitlin Clark one, if you look at a different angle, it kind of looks like she throws herself into the fan a little bit. And then the Filipowski one as well. It looks a little like he, I'm not saying he's sitting there looking for his knee to get hurt, but yeah, there's there's always there's always two sides of the story, and I feel like in this day and age of cameras, that at least needs to be a little discussed because, I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry, but if you're a big strong college athlete, and we've both been those before, like you could take a little contact leaving the court. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's and that's uh, that's where just that gray area is. Like, there's yep. no, there's no like. I mean, at that point, it's just, well, he said, she said, or this angle or that angle. Like, there's no way of determining, you know, the the fault behind something like that happening. And so I think that at the very least, they just got to get the, the players off the court. I mean, Chan, I think it'd be, I mean, it at the end of the day, it'd be a matter of 10 to 15 seconds, you know, getting the, getting the guys off the court, you know, holding holding the whether it's security or administrators or whatever, like holding the, the, uh, the people will storm in the court back for a, a few additional seconds in order for those kids to get off the court and then allowing them to storm. Cause obviously at that point, like they're not on a time constraint or anything like that. Like they can stay out there and party like for however long they need to. And so if it's just a matter of a few extra seconds, just to make sure that the kids get off the court, I think that that's something that they could at least look into and see what they can do because obviously they got to keep the players safe and healthy at the end of the day. But I'm I'm right there with you. With all that being said, I am in full support of not banning court stormings. I don't think that I don't think that they should ban it. I think that they should just kind of look into it to regulate it a little bit, so to speak. Well, last thing I'll say on it, and we'll move on. Um... I think that not a lot of people are talking about the fact that I I love court storming and especially for college games. Like I saw somebody today trying to ask or say why don't people storm the court at NBA games? Um I thought that was just a ludicrous thing to say. The 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 games could literally not be any different. It's the world's best bat like the the Rockets beat the Celtics. Like it's not like an upset. I know those two teams are very different in terms of their record, but the Rockets are NBA players. Like they can win any basketball game on any night. Wake Forest is very rarely going to beat Duke, if ever. And so I understand that it's a huge deal. 
But I think to solve one of the, the biggest issues of court storming is like it's lost its um it's lost like it's a lure. Like it, it used to be that you storm the court when you only beat number one. This was Wake storming the court against number eight Duke. And while that's a top ten win, like does it have the same prestige? Like, what does it mean? Like, you beat the eighth best team in the country on that day. It's like, um, okay, is that court storming worthy? I would say no. Um, and I'm probably never going to win that argument against an 18 to 23 year old kid, even though I'm only four years older than the oldest person in that group. So, uh, I get that, but it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, hey, let's reevaluate the purpose of it and to celebrate taking down number one. Because that's how I feel it should be. I don't think that there's really, you know, anybody can be anybody, but when you're number one, you're not supposed to lose. So when you lose at number one, it's supposed to mean something just a little bit more. So maybe mm -hmm. that has something to do with it, Skip. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things uh, I feel like a lot of times nowadays, the court stormings, it's like the, um, it, it's almost like the prestige of the school or like, you know, obviously everyone hates Duke and everyone want, always wants to beat Duke. So like, it's just the fact that it's Duke or like a Kansas or, you know, obviously these, these big time schools. Like I, I feel like it's a lot of times it's just the fact that we hate that school so much that we don't care what you guys are ranked. We're going to storm the court no matter what, yeah. just because you guys are who you are. So I, I agree. I mean, I think that like the, the court storming, you know, it's, it, it's awesome and I love it, but it's kind of like, you know, like you said, if it's not like a top five win or, you know, just an absolute huge win to solidify your spot in a conference tournament or to tie for a conference championship or something along those lines, like, I almost think that storming a court kind of like inadvertently is just like your way of saying, we realize that we're not that good. And we, yeah. we understand that like we weren't supposed to win. So we're going to celebrate this. Like it's our super bowl. And it's, so it's almost kind of like, it almost kind of looks weak on my part to be honest with you. Like it's great. And I'm in, I'm in all support of it and I love it because it is like a staple of college basketball. But I, I agree with you in the sense of like, these schools should really understand the true meaning of like storming a court and, and really like evaluate why it is that they are wanting to storm the court. Right. So I would think I, I kind of agree with that as well. You know, if it's like a top five matchup by all means, yeah. You know, storm the court, but if it's, you know, a top 10 and, because, I mean, at the end of the day, dude, uh, Wake Forest is still 18 and nine on the season. It's yeah. not like they were, it's not like they were like, you know, 10 Bad. and 18 season. Like they're 18 and nine. So like they still have like a pretty good team. And, you know, at the end of the day, Duke's sitting there at number eight in the country and they only have three more wins than them. Right. Duke is 21 and six and Wake is 18 and nine. So it's like, does beating a team that you, you know, have three less wins, like, does that really constitute that? I don't know. So it, it, it's it's a good argument. And like I said, there's really no right or wrong way 
So it's it's just it's it's a shady it's a shady area for sure. My last weekend recap matchup that I really want to point out to the listeners, uh, and it's a team that I mentioned in our first show, but I have had my eye on the South Carolina Gamecocks, Skip, and they have really, really been on fire of late. A big win, 72-59 against Ole Miss over the weekend. That's not necessarily a big win in terms of why we put it on the pod, but because it's one of those games where it's like, okay, inferior opponent, what are you, South Carolina? Are you a legit contender? You go and take care of business by double digits. Um, I absolutely love that. They're third in the SEC, Skip. They're 10-4 and four in that conference, a really, I would say, top three, maybe even top two basketball conference. And they've won eight out of their last 10, which is huge coming down the stretch. And that includes wins at home against Kentucky, who's been on fire of late. And if they can get, if Kentucky is on fire that night, they're going to put up over 100, which they did this past week, by the way. That's a big win. Then they also beat Tennessee on the road at Tennessee. I think that's an even bigger win than the Kentucky win at home. Um, South Carolina's legit. They have that mindset, like, they're just they're just a grungy team. Like they're gonna beat you up, and uh, they're they're they have some finesse to them. But really, they want to get out and get physical and get in transition. Super athletic, and those are kind of my favorite teams in college basketball to watch. Just teams that get after it. I think they're nasty. Uh, they have a legit chance to make some noise in the SEC tournament, and they're certainly gonna be. I I would be shocked if they don't make it to uh, out of the first first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. I really would. I love the Gamecocks, Skip. Yeah, dude. Uh, you love to see it. I mean, honestly, in recent history, South Carolina is a school that, you know, really hasn't made a whole lot of noise in, in basketball. Um, so you love to see schools like that that are really coming into their own, making a name for themselves. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, the SEC, dude, is absolutely loaded this year. I mean, from top to bottom, SEC is is insanely tough, and um, so the fact that they're sitting there at twenty two and five um, that says a lot about them. And and uh, it, it's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that win um, against uh, Tennessee on the road uh, because this might segue into our next segment or um, whatever we have left on the docket for the rest of the show, but. Um, Tennessee is actually one of the teams that is like the highest of, of the high on my radar right now. Yeah. Um, as far as like one of the toughest teams. And so the fact that they were able to South Carolina was able to, uh, to beat Tennessee on the road. Um, you know, that's a, that's a huge win. And then Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky is just absolutely pouring in points every single game. It seems like uh seems like, you know, they're, they're putting up a hundred in their sleep. And so um, the fact that they put up, I mean, dude, could you imagine being Bama sitting there putting up 95 and you lose? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they put up 95 and gave up 117. That's like they put up 95 points and lost by 22. Like that is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know the SEC is just absolutely loaded. You got you got Auburn in there. Auburn's really really good. I mean they're top fifteen uh, at this point of the season. They put up ninety seven points, beat uh, Georgia on the road by twenty. So I mean, uh, you know, 
the the SEC, like any team that comes out of the SEC and is making some noise like South Carolina is right now at the moment, I mean, you obviously have to look into them as being a legit contender for sure. So I'm right there with you, Chan. The SEC is is uh, dominant right now. Let's do a little mid-major talk here. Uh, we're going to step down to our little uh, Missouri Valley, little Ohio Valley talk. We'll start out with the alma mater, the Missouri State Bears. Um, same same school, same team, different year. This is so typical Missouri State. Um, and the thing that is the most difficult to swallow is that they, they are in games and they're in moments of the season and they're just – their inability to seize the moment is just baffling to me. You know, several times this year, it looked like we were turning the corner and that's actually, it just popped into my head, Skip. That's what I wanted to talk about in my intro was like two weeks ago, we're talking about the Missouri state bears. I was bought back in. They had won like five of six. They had, they had big wins. Um, they beat Drake at home in overtime. Like things were going really well and we take two weeks off of the show and the bears are in hell. I mean, they are flat out in hell. Um, Just really poor performances down the stretch. looks like this past weekend, they lose the Belmont 97, 78, 78 might be the highest we've scored in quite some time. And we still lose by what, what is that? (laughs) What's the score? 97, 78 skip real quick. Was that 19? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So uh just just brutal. Um and Belmont actually, I think within the last week came to Springfield and won as well. So that's a season sweep uh by the Bruins on the Bears. Um you know, I'm I'm not gonna advocate I never want to advocate for someone to lose their job, but the program just seems stuck. Um I don't know if, if firing Dana is the right move. I think that it, it wouldn't hurt. Um, it seems to be the same exact thing um, year in and year out. But, God, it's crazy, dude, Skip. When you look at Dana Ford's career record, it is, it's like 20-plus games over 500. Um, and at the mid-major level, you will sit back and you're like, I mean, that's pretty damn good. Um, and so I don't know what the move is, but, man, it just hurts. Uh, because I thought that this team was going to be able to get up into around that four to seven area. And now, I mean, if they're not careful, they're going to play the first day of the Arch Madness. And no team has ever made a run from the first day of Arch Madness to the finals, let alone win the finals. So it's not looking good right now in the vault, Skip. I got to say that. Yeah, Chan, um, you know, you, you really hate to see it because, um, you know, historically in our lifetime, Missouri State basketball, they just it, it just seems like they can never get over that hump. And it's they're like that one team that year in and year out, it's like, you know, hey, guys, like this is our this is our best recruiting class that we've had in some time. You know, things are turning around like. It's almost like they're kind of like a, kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. Like every year, it's just like this is our year. Like this is where this we're going to be good. This and that, and then they just never put it together. And it's it's tough to see. And like you said, you don't want to you know vouch for someone losing their job. But at the, at this point, it's like something's got to give. And 
you know, a school like Missouri State, it's just so disappointing because, I mean, they arguably have the best arena in the entire Missouri Valley Conference, and it's not even close. Not close. And so, I mean, they have the facilities. Obviously, our hometown, Springfield, Missouri, is an incredible town, perfect college town. You know, Missouri State is on the on the on the rise. They're on the come up. Um, they have a lot of good things going for them, and it's just like, why is the basketball team not better than they are? And it's one of those things that they just got to really like look in the mirror and and figure out like what what it is that's holding them back and what it is that they've got to do to take that next step um, because. I mean, it'd be so awesome if Missouri State basketball was making noise and arch madness every year and, you know, had a, had a chance to get an automatic bid to the tournament and, you know, make a run, Cinderella story, like all that stuff. Like it'd be incredible. And they, and they have that ability, like they have that capability of being able to do that. But it's just like, what gives and like, what, what do we need to do to take that next step? And because, a team like Missouri State just simply should not be 15 and 14 on the season. They should be way better than that. And they obviously get some good players in there, um, but they just can never put it together. And so I think that something's got to give with the coaching staff. Um, you know, obviously the uh, athletic director came out a couple weeks ago and did what he did. That's never, ever a good sign for a program to do that uh, in the middle of a season like that. Um, so, kind of just seems like there's a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors that not a lot of people know about. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that you want uh, it to eventually hit the surface and figure out what it is that's really going on. Cause something's got to change. Cause it's just simply not, not acceptable for Missouri state to be this mediocre. You're preaching to the choir there, Skeeby. I couldn't agree more with what you said. Um, maybe they need to come on the figure it out podcast so they can figure it out. What do you think there? <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad idea, Chan. I I, I agree. <laughs> Live update on the show. Okay, K State was killing West Virginia. West Virginia was on a forty-one to seven run to close the second half. The game is now in overtime, eighty-two eighty. Kansas State. Uh, Jerome Tang, head coach of the Wildcats, is undefeated. I believe he's ten and zero in overtime games as the head coach of the Cats, so we'll keep you updated there. We're going to stick with uh, the Missouri Valley team I want the pod to watch out for. And a really annoying team seems to always have a, uh, a presence in the month of March. Uh, the Northern Iowa Panthers, and this takes a lot for me because I hate them more than any Missouri Valley school there is. Uh, big win for them, 91-77 over Drake, who's in second place. Drake was 14-3. and going into that game in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, the Panthers have won three out of four. We were talking about it on the show. The state of Iowa is just always seemingly really good at basketball. Drake, another one of those really good schools in Iowa. Um, it, it, it's it's not fair. I hate Northern Iowa, but you got to give them credit where it's due. Uh, watch out for them on the mid-major. And then here, down here in the Ohio Valley Conference, uh, which is the conference that Southeast Missouri is is uh, a part of. Three teams tied for the lead league lead uh, as we enter the final week of the season. Uh, the Moorhead State Eagles, the UT Martin Skyhawks, and the Little Rock Trojans. All three teams have visited Cape this year. 
Um, SEMO concludes their season. Uh, well, actually, they have two games left. The first of the two are against the Moorhead State Eagles. Both of those, all three of those teams are really damn good, really physical. Little Rock came here, and they looked really legit to me. They've worked their way up from from a really bad season last year to the top of the conference in just a, a short little uh, run here. But Moorhead State, one of those teams as well, kind of like the Ohio Valley, Northern Iowa, in my opinion. Um, they're, they're really good at a lot of sports. No idea why. No idea why you'd want to be in Moorhead, Kentucky. But they know how to recruit or they know how to uh, run programs. And their men's basketball team has been the staple in this conference for a long time. They're looking to make noise in the tournament. If they get in, they are dangerous. Super, super uh, uh, athletic at guard. I love their post presence. Uh, Moorhead State is one that you got to keep your eye on if they make the tournament skip. Man, I mean, I would love to see uh, someone come out of the OVC and make some noise like they did. Um, I mean, obviously, you had that Cinderella run with uh, Simo. Uh, was was that two years ago? Now? Nope, last year they played the tournament yeah. last year. Yeah, man, I'm sorry, Chan, that that was uh, just last year, and that they're kind of struggling this year, and and. Um, won't be able to repeat that history, but, uh, you know, these are the teams we talk about it all the time, bro. These are the type of teams they'll get in, they'll sneak in at 13, 14, 15 seed in the tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, those are the teams that they have nothing to lose. Like they go yep. out there, they're going to give you their best effort to give you their best shot. Um, and so if you don't watch out for them, um, you know, they noise and, and uh, steal a couple games in the tournament. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, it's kind of cool, actually, for me personally. Um, you know, I know that they're not making any noise this year, but shout out to Southern Indiana. Oh. Uh, I actually uh, played them uh, back in my day at William Jewell. Uh, Southern Indiana used to be Division Two, yep. So they were in the same conference as us uh, in the GOVC. And then uh, they have actually bumped up to Division One, and they're now in the OVC. So uh, pretty cool to see that they're, uh, you know, competing throughout the league and and uh, doing their thing. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You obviously have a little bit more of the insider information as far as how all these teams are in the OVC. So you see it firsthand night in and night out. So, um, you know, it, it'll be one of those things, man, that uh, whoever ends up making it out of that conference – I'll definitely be uh, reaching out to you whenever it comes time for my bracket to see if uh, any of these teams will have a chance to uh, to pull off an upset or something like that. <laughs> no better place than right here, Skeeby, let me tell you. Um, also, Southern Indiana, shout out to the Southern Indiana women's basketball team. They are in first place in the OBC. I think they're 13-1, and 14-1, something like that. They're, they're, looking, they're looking pretty good this year. Um, so... <laughs> Get a little women's hoops talk for you there, Skip. <laughs> let's take a let's take a step back to Sunday real quick. A team that we've been very back and forth on, um, just because of their history. Purdue huge win over Michigan um, on the road as well. Zach Eady, thirty five points. I would I would probably be pretty correct in saying that if Zach Eady scores twenty or more points, Purdue's going to win. Um, and that was clear and evident on that day. I actually thought Michigan played pretty well going back and watching some highlights. Didn't watch this game live, but they're in this game. But Zach Eady, when you're 7-4 and you can score 35 points, I'm sorry, you're just not going to beat them. 
Um, and Skip, you love one of their guards. So I'm going to turn it over to you here. But I love Purdue. Um, maybe I'm going to buy into them this year, Skip. Maybe. I think I'm going to. Dude, man, it's – I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but, you know, you know, we were kind of talking about it on the pre-pod show. Uh, you know, um, kind of weird, first off, and, and, and before I get into it a little bit, kind of weird seeing Michigan sitting there at 8 and 20. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time we've seen Michigan basketball be that bad, especially with, uh, you know, they got Juwan Howard at the helm. So, like, you would not expect that uh, from from Michigan at all. But, um, you know, Chan, Edie goes for 35. Great game by him, obviously. And you just mentioned uh, I do like uh, one of their guards for Purdue, uh, Braden Smith. Um, he actually had 11 points and 11 assists. Uh, I know that that's kind of been historically the issue with Purdue is that, you know, yes, they do have E and he's a dominant force, but they have historically not had very much uh, good guard play. Um, so the fact that, you know, uh, they got this Braden Smith guy, he's averaging 13 a game, six rebounds, seven assists. I mean, it's uh, obviously just his job and his top priority to get all the guys involved, get the ball to Dak E as much as he possibly can. But where I'm hesitant, Chan, and I'll say it again, you know, ED goes for 35, and yes, Michigan is not as good, and it's a road game, and I get that, but they still only won by eight points. And so it's like, if he doesn't score 35, do they win that game? Right. You know? Or like, where does their scoring, where else does it come from? And so, um, you know, Zach Eady in a tournament setting is obviously not going to be able to put up 30 or 40 points every single game. You know, teams are going to game plan for that. They're going to, they're going to be able to shut him down. I feel like a, a little bit easier whenever they have the the preparation and, and the, and they can really uh, strategize how they want to attack him. But um, you know, it, it's obviously they were, I was actually watching majority of this game yesterday and uh, they, and I can't remember the exact list, but I want to say uh, there was like four or five players um, in NCAA history who have actually gone back-to-back National Player of the Year. Um, and Zach Eady is looking to be one of those guys this year. If he does win it, he would be back-to-back. And it was uh, something crazy like the first time since like the 80s or the 90s that that's happened. So it's uh, obviously not, not uh, happened in a long time. And so that would be an incredible individual accomplishment for Zach E.D. doing that. Um, and, and you, uh, you know, want to be able to celebrate that kind of success and that kind of talent. Uh, but, you know, I'm still, I mean, Purdue was in this exact same position last year and, you know, they're sitting there top five and everyone's saying, you know, national player of the year and Purdue's really good and blah, 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 blah. And then they get bounced in the tournament right away. So, um, I mean, you just never know. Uh, this might be the year that they break through and, and prove us wrong. But until that happens, I'm going to make them eat my words. And and uh, I will believe it when I see it. So I'm not, full, I'm not fully bought in on Purdue by any means. Real quick. Uh, breaking the action, K-State 89, West Virginia 85 with 46 seconds left. West Virginia just called a timeout, so got my eye on this game. This is an insane game. Um, 
Sticking with Sunday, uh, we talked about them earlier. Creighton, huge win for them, um, taking down number one UConn. Um, but then, as we talked about, the letdown spot. They go to St. John's and lose 80-66, to 66, um, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, and it's just it, – it kind of – this is where my test has been failed by a team like Creighton because Creighton, they're 12th uh, uh, as the rankings came out this week. But, like, they had that bad letdown spot, Skip, and teams that I want to take serious aren't going to be able to do that kind of thing in the tournament because when you're filling out a bracket, there isn't a, a next Tuesday if you lose. And that's what that terrifies me about teams um, like Creighton. When you see these little letdown spots against a team like St. John's who, yes, Skip, you make a great point about them losing games, uh, like five of them with a, within one possession. But, man, like still, a team like Creighton, if you want me to take, them, take you seriously – you got to win these games. So I'm looking at the Creighton Blue Jays with a negative light. Um, and maybe it's not fair, but it's it's about nut cutting time here. We gotta start taking we got we gotta start holding people accountable, Skip. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I mean, there's no room for error. Because like you said, if you slip up and don't play your best basketball, like you're there isn't a tomorrow. And so um, you know, the that's what separates the the good teams from the great teams. Like, obviously, you're not going to play a picture-perfect game every single game, but the really, really good elite teams, they still find a way to win whenever they don't play their best their best basketball. And so, I mean, you got to win really solid games. You got to win when you're, when you're playing good and everything's rolling and you're hitting shots. But you got to win whenever the ball is not even rolling your way. Like, you got to just find a way to... Like you said, nut cutting time. Like it's it's uh, whether it's getting a few extra defensive stops in the game, or um, you know, um, like we always talk about, not turning the ball over, making a couple shots here and there, getting to the free throw line a couple extra times. Like it just comes down to it that you got to find multiple ways to win. And um, I, I feel like for Creighton, that was essentially kind of like a trap game. Uh, so to speak. Yep. Um, you know, you come off a huge win against the number one team in the country. You're feeling good. Confidence is building up. And then, um, you know, you lose to, to a team like St. John's and uh, it just, it just cannot happen. And, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Creighton's able to do after this. Uh, because again, they cannot let this loss turn into uh, compounded into two or three losses in a row. Because then at that point, you're looking at not even being in the top 25 at that point. So uh, the margin for error is slim to none. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what Creighton's able to do this upcoming week uh, going into the conference tournament. Let's buzz through the top 10 this week. We're going to do the AP top 10 as we always do. Um, we've already talked about several of these teams, so I'll just get through them. Number one is Houston. Uh, awesome team, obviously. Purdue, number two. UConn slides back to three, but as we mentioned, they beat Villanova, so not a big surprise there, but not a huge drop-off. Skip, I'm going to pause here on four. Tennessee, I want you to run us through. I know they were your team coming into the week. Uh, Connect, the guy we talked about, Dalton Connect, the guy we talked about uh, two weeks ago, goes for 24, a nice win for them um, over the weekend. Skip, talk about Tennessee. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think uh, I truly think that Connect is one of the best players in the entire country. I mean, 
if it wasn't for Zach Eady, like this dude, I feel like he would be right there in the in the thick of things for National Player of the Year. I mean, um, the guy averages twenty points a game, uh, shoots the ball at a really high clip. Um, I mean, I, I truly think that uh, coming out of the draft that he's going to have a huge upside and and he's going to turn out to be a really really good NBA player once he makes it to the league um, because he he's just kind of a, a multifaceted talented guy i mean he can shoot he can handle the ball obviously being six six you know he can guard multiple positions uh he just plays with this confidence and the swagger like he just he knows how good he is and he never really seems to get too rattled um you know he kind of is just an even keeled guy like he never gets lets his temper get the best of him or anything like that um but he also plays with really good intensity and and uh, has a high motor, just plays really hard. Um, you can just tell that he's just like, he's just a basketball player. Like the guy just knows how to play the game. He has a high basketball IQ um, and, and he just, he just gets it. And sometimes, um, you know, you, you get guys like that. And, and um, especially with, with him and uh, they obviously have some returners, um, they have uh, Zakai Ziegler, mm-hmm. who is a really good point guard. He's very good. Um, I really like his game a lot. Um, you know, they have uh, they have some shooters on the outside. They have that lefty Santiago Vescovi. Uh, dude kind of reminds me of like a Manu Ginobili type of player. Um, he's he's really good. And and uh, you know they have uh, Josiah Jordan James, who is also a uh, a pretty solid player inside. And then they of course have a good coach in Rick Barnes, like Rick Barnes um, is uh, I believe on uh, with that win against Texas A&M on Saturday. Uh, he actually, that was his 800th career win. Wow. Um, so he joins the, uh, joins the 800 club and, and uh, that's obviously a pretty prestigious group to be a part of. So, um, you know, the guy gets it, he knows how to win, knows what it takes. Um, so, I don't know, Chan. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think that Tennessee, um, they have a really good shot at making some noise in the tournament. Um, and they, they seem to me to have a lot of the pieces to make a deep run. And uh, they obviously, like I just said, they have a good coaching staff. So um, I would, I am very high on Tennessee. Uh, I think that they could make some serious, some serious noise in the tournament for sure. Uh, Marquette at five. Marquette is a team that this podcast has to do a deep dive on because they just have been in the top 10 for the last two months. Um, don't know much about them, but obviously 21 and six is pretty damn impressive in the number five team in the country. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come to the show next week with some good Marquette information because um, they obviously need our attention. Uh, Arizona, number six. We're going to talk about them here in a second. They got a big game coming up on uh, Wednesday. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawks, number seven, Kansas Jayhawks, big win over, I believe, Texas over the weekend. Um, the Jayhawks are annoying. We're not going to spend any time on them on this on this show. I don't want to do it. They're really good. Dickinson had 20. Um, he's kind of like their Zach Eady. If he has 20, they're going to be tough to beat on any given night. Um, another, another team from the state of Iowa, Iowa State. Um, a lot of Iowa on this podcast this evening. But the the Cyclones, they are twenty one and six as well. They are number the number eight team in the country. That's actually crazy, Skip. Four through 
four through 11 are all 21 and six, dude. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> insane. But the Cyclones are, are not to be trifled with. And rounding out the top 10 um, is North Carolina and Duke. North Carolina actually just beat Miami earlier as we were recording the show. Um, and the Duke Blue Devils obviously coming off a loss against Wake Forest, but they'll be back in action this week um, as well. And then I like I kind of like to mention outside of the top 10, number 11, Auburn. Uh, we talked about in the last show. We're going to talk about them here on my games to watch um, to close out the show. But the Tigers, I mean, you know, if they're 22 and six, they might be number three in the country, number four in the country. Um, and they got a big win over the weekend as well. Also, shout out to our guy, Mole Albright, uh, listener of the show, loves the basketball show, and I'm a big Auburn Tiger. Uh, Skip, anything on those top 10 teams before we get to our games to watch and get out of here? Yeah, dude. Uh, huge. Huge matchup, and and we're obviously going to speak about this, but huge matchup on uh, Wednesday between Auburn and Tennessee. That'll be a really good game. Um, can't wait to see that one. Uh, like you said, shout out Cole Albright, a uh, huge Auburn guy. And uh, I actually texted him after the game uh, this past weekend telling him how good that they are and, and uh, how they're fun to watch. So, um yeah, man, a lot of a lot of good games this week, uh, and uh, I cannot wait to see what ends up happening because, um, you know, it's uh, there's a few teams in there like we like we uh, like you mentioned, you know, Marquette. We probably need to give them a little bit more love than we have, and then uh, teams like Iowa State. I mean, where did they even come from? Just sneaking their way into the top ten. Um, so a lot of room for uh, a lot of room for. Um, maneuvering around within that top 10, like you said, with all those teams, 21 and six, you know, you get one or two really solid wins. I mean, you could be a team like Auburn and, and um, you know, be sitting there at 11 this week. And if you knock off Tennessee on Wednesday, you could jump into the top five. So, um, you know, it's uh, a, a lot of times at this time of the year, the teams, you know, Obviously, with us being former players and whatnot, we've heard this since day one. But you got to control your own destiny and uh, do what you got to do and take care of your business. But I can guarantee you, in the back of a lot of these teams' minds, they're going to be watching uh, these other games and seeing how all that shakes out to see where they're going to rank out uh, in comparison to all those other teams. K State. Winners of 12 straight overtime games tied most in Division One history. Beat the West Virginia Mountaineers 94 to 90. Uh, Tang 12 and 0 in overtime games as a head coach. That's literally insane. Um, that <laughs> game just went final in Manhattan. Um, Skip, let's close the show with our games to watch, and we'll start where you where you where you were talking about uh, the number 11 Auburn Tigers are going to go to the number four Tennessee Volunteers. That's on Wednesday night. That's going to be an awesome game, as you mentioned. Uh, two teams that are, are vying for top, what, three seeds in the tournament, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, anywhere from one to three, if things go right for either of those teams. Um, that'll be a fun one to watch there in Knoxville. 100%. Yeah, no, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's probably the best game of the week um out of any game so that'll be that'll be a good one to watch i'm excited for that um you know duke uh they have a big game wednesday as well against uh louisville it'll be interesting to see 
Um, you know, how they bounce back from their loss this past weekend. I doubt that Filipowski will play. Obviously, they're calling it like a knee sprain, so I'm sure he'll be out for, um, you know, I would assume probably the rest of the regular season. Um, they wanted to probably just get him rested up and healthy and make sure that he's good to go by the time the conference tournament rolls around. Um, so it'll be interesting, really interesting to see how Duke bounces back. Um, you know, obviously coming off a loss, it's always nice to uh, have a, a home game. Um, Louisville is having a little bit of a down year. So um, kind of a more of like a hopefully a, a confidence booster type of game, get back on track um, and, and get back in the winning column. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously all those games in the SEC too, dude, uh, every single one of those games is going to be really good. Um, you know, you got the South Carolina against A&M, you got Bama against Ole Miss, a um, lot of, you know, Mizzou against Florida. I mean, a lot of really, really good games for sure. Um, this one's on Tuesday night. This is more of a nostalgia pick for me. It's Texas and Texas Tech. It'll be the last time these two teams play as Big 12 conference members with Texas going to the SEC next year. Um, this I don't know why I like this game. I think it's because of the football matchup. Um, but that's going to be a fun game to watch. I think Texas is one of those teams that's a product of being in the Big 12. I think they're actually pretty good. Um, Dylan DeSue, he's back. I think he's an absolute stud. They're a team in the Big 12 tournament that you don't want to play, and they could definitely make a run. Um, keep your eye on that game. That's at, on Tuesday at 8 p.m. I believe it's on ESPN. And, Skip, real quick to your point about the Duke-Louisville game, I saw on the bottom line earlier that Duke has a 98.7% chance to win a game um, against Louisville. That's got to be one of the highest percentages um, amongst conference mates this late in the season in history. I mean, that is just – that yeah. is really giving Louisville hardly a chance to win this uh, basketball game. So you got to feel pretty good if you're Duke um, and Kyle Filipowski not playing. Yep, yep, for sure. Because uh, then we got a, you know, we got a, a bloodbath uh, on Saturday against Virginia. Um, you know, another home game for Duke. So they got a couple home games this week, which is nice. Um, but I mean, Virginia, dude, is always just a gritty, hard nosed. I mean, dude, Virginia scored forty four points. Yeah, but like, held Carolina to 54. So that's where yeah. you get that grittiness. Like, they're going to beat you up. Like, can you – I mean, can you even believe that? Like, <laughs> the final score of a college basketball game was 54 to 44. I mean, that's just nuts. And so, yeah. obviously, anything can happen in that game. Virginia is always well-known for their defense. Um, so, big week ahead for Duke, you know. Got to get back on the winning column. Um, Got to get back on track and uh, get their guys healthy. You know, we talk about it all the time, Chan, at this time of the year, sometimes comes down to whoever's the healthiest teams. And, uh, you know, they, they got to have their guys at full strength and, and uh, make, making sure that they're um, staying on top of their game. So be, uh, be interesting to see. And obviously nothing in sports is ever guaranteed. So the fact that that uh, Duke game on, uh, against Louisville is 98% is pretty crazy to me. Um, but uh, they still got to still gotta roll the ball out there and play the game. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Two final games to watch. We're going to go out to the West Coast, actually. We're going to start on Tuesday night. 
the number 22 ranked Utah State Aggies. Guys, keep your eyes on this team. Winners of three of their last four. They're 22 and five and in first place in the Mountain West. They're going to go on the road to play Fresno State. Now, Fresno State, not really anything to write home about, but a road game for a top ranked team and especially the number one team in your conference. That's a big test for Utah State. Uh, as we get closer to the tournament, we got to start finding these teams that are going to be um, um, bracket busters. And I think the Aggies are posed to be one of those teams right now. Keep your eye on that game. That's at a 9 o'clock start. So if you're jonesing for some hoops late at night, that's a good one to turn on. And then Wednesday, um, uh, the number six ranked Arizona Wildcats, they're going to go on the road to play Arizona State. Obviously, um, Arizona, one of the best teams in the country, but rivalry game on the road. Um, you're going to want to keep your eye on this because the Sun Devils are going to have a game plan for the Wildcats, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch too. I think that one's at 8 o'clock on ESPN on Wednesday. I think that follows um, Auburn and Tennessee. So some really good games as we mentioned. Um, Skip, any final games to watch from you, or are we good to get out of here? Man, um, can't forget those games on Saturday that are late in the week. Um Let's see here. So we got some really good games Saturday, one of them being Kansas at Baylor. Um, we got Marquette against Creighton, which will be really, really good. Um, I already mentioned that Virginia and Duke game. That'll be a good one. Tennessee plays at Bama on Saturday as well. That'll be a phenomenal game. Nice little four versus 14 matchup. Um haven't really talked about them a whole lot this year so far leading up until this point, but Gonzaga, um, they're still sitting there 22 and six, uh, playing St. Mary on Saturday, uh, who's 23 and six. So you just mentioned the, uh, the late slates of basketball games. If you're looking for a game to watch, that'll be a good one. Uh, Gonzaga being 23 and St. Uh, Mary's being 17. So a lot of, uh, a lot of good top 25 matchups and, um, Oh, and even uh, Saturday as well, uh, number 24, Florida, against your guys, number 18, South Carolina Gamecocks. That will mm. be a good one. Um, so a lot of good uh, a lot of good slates uh, posted for this week, and, and uh, I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. Cause, yeah, man, the next week, uh, Monday is March 4th, so we'll be officially into March. <laughs> yep. Skip, awesome show, college basketball in the books, um, but it's just getting started. Baylor and TCU on ESPN now. I'm excited to get off the show and watch that game, maybe break down a little bit more of the Bears. Um, and we'll be back next week, next Monday. We'll be back for another show. Um, down the pipe, Figure It Out podcast listeners, get ready for the Figure It Out pod uh, NCAA tournament challenge. We've done it two years in a row now. We'll get the brackets going. Um, hopefully this year maybe we'll get some stuff out for the winners um, because I've been slacking on that the last two years. That's my fault. I own that, but um, we'll, we we should be able to do something. And so it's a good way to get the, the listeners involved and uh, see who can come out on top. I bet it'll be me, but um, you never know really with the sport of college basketball. You just never know. Skip, appreciate I'm your time, brother. For that top spot as well, Chan. I'll be right, right behind you. <laughs> I'm sure you will be, buddy. Skip, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Sounds good, brother. Always a great show and always a pleasure. So I appreciate you, Chan, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right. See you, buddy. See you later.